Still have a little problem here. We haven't gotten it worked out yet, so just open your Bibles with me to chapter 19 in Ezekiel. A lamentation for the princes of Israel. Ezekiel speaks of these princes. He speaks of these young lions uh, who are the ones of the line of David as, as the kings, the last uh, kings of Judah. Historically, we go back from this point. He's, he's writing here in uh, 592 B.C. Zedekiah is the king, has been the king for about five years, and he is actually the last king to sit on the throne of David, historically. Josiah was the righteous king, good Josiah. He reigned for uh, 31 years. Following him was uh, Jehoahaz. He didn't reign very long, about three months. Then following him was Jehoiakim, who reigned uh, 11 years. And then following him was Jehoiakim. He didn't reign very long. He was deposed by uh, Nebuchadnezzar after three months. And then came Zedekiah, who reigned for 11 years and then was imprisoned. So... With that in mind, we'll see what he says about that as the Lord speaks through him. This is important. To, it's all important to us. But here, here we get a clear mind of what happened and why there is a gap in the sons of David. Here is this uh, Davidic covenant that God made and uh, the promise of the everlasting kingdom and, and uh, the throne of David and so forth. So it's clarified for us here uh, as, and these things that he prophesies haven't, some, haven't they all haven't happened yet. Uh, and we'll take note of that as we look uh, through this uh, chapter 19. The chapter is giving to us a picture of uh, God crying, weeping, lamenting over uh, Jerusalem and what happens to her leaders. Beginning in verse 1, As for you, take up a lamentation for the princes of Israel and say, Now this is the Davidic line of kings, the last ones in the history of Judah. And say, what was your mother? A lioness among lions. She lay down among young lions and she reared her cubs. Now this is an expression that uh, describes um, Israel. Israel in the history of the world in her day was always formidable. And, of course, Judah in the time after the division of the kingdom, Judah was always a, a, a strong, uh, formidable power as well. 
in the world as it, as it uh, developed in that time. So a lioness among lions. Now this is the funeral dirge for the city, but the city still has five years left to live, really. But it's a prophecy of the inevitable fall of Jerusalem. When she brought up one of her cubs, and this is King Jehoahaz he's talking about here, he became a lion. He learned to tear his prey. He devoured men. Then nations heard about him. He was captured in their pit, and they brought him with hooks to the land of Egypt. Pharaoh Necho fought against and then deposed um, Jehoahaz and actually put hooks in his nose and attached a leash to that hook and carried him into Egypt with this hook and leash connected to his nose to put him on display as, as uh, the defeated foe of Egypt. Then in verse 5 and uh, following down to verse 09 is the, the next king that he talks about, which is uh, Jehoiakim. When she saw as she waited that her hope was lost, she took another of her cubs and made him a young lion. And he walked about among the lions. He became a young lion. He learned how to tear his prey. He devoured men. And he destroyed their fortified towers and laid waste their cities. And the land in its fullness were appalled because of the sound of his roaring. Then nations set against him on every side from their provinces, and they spread their net over him. He was captured in their pit, and they put him in a cage with hooks and brought him to the king of Babylon. They brought him in hunting nets so that his voice should be heard no more on the mountains of Israel." Jehoiakim uh, tried to exercise power and tried to intimidate when he didn't really have the power or the resources. And after only three months on the throne, Nebuchadnezzar uh, deposed him from, from the throne of, uh, of Judah. Only three months. And brought him, as described here, and brought him in a parade into Babylon with a, a neck yoke, with a yoke around his neck and built something like a cage, but he was still able to walk. It's, it's a way that uh, they used to uh, transport prisoners in, in that ancient day. So it was a, it was a, a display of, of humiliation and, uh, and shame, and it showed that uh, Nebuchadnezzar was in charge and that he would put whoever he wanted to on the throne. An interesting side note about uh, uh, Jehoiakim, he spent 37 years in prison in, uh, in Babylon. It, it was Nebuchadnezzar's son, Evel Merodach, who released him from prison 37 years later and he never went back to the land where he once was king. He, he remained in the land of Babylon until he died. But then uh, came Zedekiah, beginning in verse 10. 
Your mother was like a vine in your vineyard planted by the waters. It was fruitful and full of branches because of abundant waters. It had strong branches fit for scepters of, of rulers. And its height was raised above the clouds so that it was seen in its height with the mass of its branches. Judah had been a very prosperous nation. Uh, God, of course, uh, took care of, uh, of Judah in a special way. And prosperity had, uh, had come to the people. Of course, they abused, they abused their prosperity by, by turning against God. But yet, they were seen as a very strong and prosperous nation. Now, the last of the kings of the sons of David was Zedekiah, beginning verse 12. But it was plucked up in fury. It was cast down to the ground, and the east wind dried up its fruit. Its strong branch was torn off so that it withered, and the fire consumed it. In good years, in the land of Israel, land of Judah, in good years and most of the time, the prevailing winds were from the west, and this brought moisture from the Mediterranean. And so uh, rain was plentiful, and uh, the supply of water was, was uh, more than sufficient. And as a result, uh, the land would prosper. In, in cycles, however, after many, many, many years of a good, strong, prevailing uh, westerly wind, an easterly wind would blow. And this always presented a problem. This, this, brought, uh, uh, this, this brought recession and depression, if you want to use modern terminology, because the east wind was a dry wind. It came from the desert, more arid areas. It did not bring with it moisture. And as the prevailing wind, it pushed off those westerly winds that carried moisture, and they went more to the north. So in those years, this easterly wind uh, created uh, famine and, uh, and lack and, and poverty in the, in the land. But here it's used metaphorically. Because the east wind, of course, is Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar. Notice what he said. It's strong, verse 12, end of verse 12. A strong branch was torn off so that it withered. The fire consumed it. And now it's planted in the wilderness in a dry and thirsty land. Now this is a prophecy. This is a prophecy of what's going to happen. It is five years hence. It won't happen for another five years from the time Ezekiel prophesied. But here's what he's saying. He's saying the prevailing wind is going to come from the east. A bad time is going to fall on us from the east. And of course it's Babylon. And the land, he says here, uh, planted in the fire consumed it, and now it is planted in the wilderness in a dry and thirsty land. 
and fire has gone out from its branch. It has consumed its shoots and fruit so that there is not in it a strong branch, a scepter to rule. This was the declaration that what was coming from the east that would destroy the land and actually they were transplanted in captivity. They were transplanted to a more arid uh, land than what they had been accustomed to. But also because of the destruction and because of God's judgment and because of the failure of the people to tend the land after uh, the Babylonians defeated Jerusalem and Judah, the land itself became a wasteland. It, it lay desolate and it became a wilderness, all as part really of the judgment of God. But you'll notice here down in the latter part of verse 14, so that there is not in it a strong branch, a scepter to rule. His prophecy here is that Zedekiah is the end of the Davidic kings. No more scepter to rule. Now, we're not all the way through the prophecy. When we get all the way over into Ezekiel 37, 38, and 39, we will see how that prophecy picks up for what will happen to the people in the latter days. But as for the moment, and it all happens five years hence, Zedekiah will be the last of the sons of David to sit on the throne of David. This is the end of it. Ezekiel prophesies it. He is, he is uh, warning the people that uh, as part of the judgment, there's going to be an end to the Davidic rule until God reestablishes with his righteous king. We'll see more about that as we move on further in the next few weeks into uh, Ezekiel's prophecy. And then it ends like this in the last part of verse uh, 14. This is a lamentation and has become a lamentation. We want to, the next chapter stands on its own pretty well and has a lot of points that need to be made, so we won't get into that last, uh, that next chapter uh, tonight. But it does, but this chapter uh, deserves a little bit of review because it is so important to the story of the Christ. There is no confusion with God. God has made the promise that the throne of David will always, will always be there. And that son of David would sit on the throne, on the throne of an everlasting kingdom. While Ezekiel is prophesying, we also must remember that in the same general time frame, Daniel is prophesying also. An interesting thing about the book of Daniel is that a little more than 
oh, I would say probably close to about 60% of the book of Daniel is written in Aramaic. Earliest manuscripts we can find all, all allusions to the, to the copies and everything. Everything tells us that Daniel, of course, who was trained by the Babylonians to be an important part of their court and uh, to be an envoy between the court of Nebuchadnezzar and the captives of uh, Judah, he knew the language and uh, he knew the ways of the Babylonians. The interesting thing is that all of that part of Daniel, which is really more than half of Daniel, written in Aramaic, was written in the prevailing Gentile language of the day, Aramaic. It goes all the way through those prophecies that deal with the times of the Gentiles. So when you study the Bible in the book of Daniel, you know that God does things for a reason and you realize that God is giving a message to the Gentiles through his prophet Daniel by revealing his message, his inspired message in the language of the Gentiles of the day. Except for a couple of other sparse, very short sections. That's the only place in the Bible, in the Old Testament, that isn't given in Hebrew. Now, interestingly, the latter part of the book of Daniel, when, when the prophecies begin to deal with the people of Israel, and the prophecies move away from the Gentiles to the Israelites, the language written is in Hebrew. So it, it tells us that that part is, is for the Jewish people. Now, with that in mind, we study what Daniel says because he's in the same time frame, generally speaking, as Ezekiel. And we see what Daniel says and how God inspires Daniel to, to talk about uh, the stone cut without hands and the kingdom that is an everlasting kingdom that brings down the Gentile kingdoms and so forth. Ezekiel, because his message is primarily for those people who are going into captivity and are being made to understand why everything is happening the way that it is, Ezekiel is giving the same, uh, is addressing the same issue, divinely inspired by God, but from a different perspective, you see. His perspective here, and if you'll, if you'll go back and recount what we've, what we've seen already in Ezekiel, okay, your, uh, your civil leadership was corrupt, defiled, and filled with idolatry. Your religious leadership was corrupt, defiled, and filled with idolatry. And because of the priesthood which was defiled, the very walls of the innermost part of the temple were defiled and had etchings of false gods and so forth by the priests themselves. And, and then these uh, elders and, and leaders uh, even mocked God by the way that they turned their backsides to Him and they worshipped the sun, the... Uh, uh, you remember it was the mother and child worship in Tammuz and so forth, which was an old Babylonian thing. Uh, it was just, it was, it was totally 
uh, totally given over uh, to paganism and totally turned away from God so that God had to issue to the people his judgment on the city, on the people, except for those who had the mark on the, the, he sent out his angel and he wrote something on them that they would not be attacked by those who had the sword. And the civil leadership, the religious leadership, even, even showed Ezekiel how he left the temple, how God had departed from the temple uh, so that uh, the presence of God was no longer there and thus the Gentiles could walk right in. Now, in keeping with this very thorough explanation of what a mess they're in, he is also addressing something that would, I suppose, naturally come to their minds, and that is, uh, what about the promise made to David and the, and the kings and the son of David? So God is addressing that, and he's going to pick back up on this later in Ezekiel, and we're going to see it much later, but for right now, here's what he's saying. There's no more scepter. Zedekiah is the last one. Now, Zedekiah still has about five or six years left as of the, the time. But the prophecy is that this is it. And then later on, we'll see how the Lord says, now there'll be a righteous king and a son of David, and I'll, I will put him on the throne. But this is the end of it until I take care of this matter later on when I see fit as I see fit uh, with, with my uh, direct involvement in placing the son of David on the throne. So up to this point, we can see how God is spelling the end of the nation of Israel on planet earth as it had been known uh, since its inception. God is thoroughly judging the people and they cannot escape the fact that uh, what is happening to them is by the wrath of God and through the judgment of God that comes upon them. And God through Ezekiel is telling them that they're going to be dispersed and scattered for a long time. They're not going to be together as a people as they had been in times past. They're going to be scattered among other nations. And God is saying, and those nations are going to know about me because of how I've dealt with you. And then when we get into chapter 37, we will see that uh, there'll be a regathering of these people. Uh, the Valley of Dry Bones. And then the prophecies in those next two chapters after 37 the prophecies of the absolute latter days when Israel has been regathered as a nation among nations and then the world begins to shape up the way that God says that it will. And through Israel in that day, God will once again reveal to the world. He says this recurring uh, declaration in those two chapters. And they will know that I am the Lord. And they will know that I am the Lord they will know that I'm the Lord. So, so God has a plan in all of this. And that's important for us to keep up with and to think about as we go through, uh, as we go through God's uh, declaration 
of the circumstances that Judah is in as she comes to an end as a nation among nations uh, to let, to be that way for hundreds and hundreds of years until the latter days. So that takes us right up to the time where God has just said to them, not only are they going to lose the city, the temple, the land, but they're going to lose the king, the kingly line until God intervenes and, and installs Messiah at last as the king. Well, we're going to stop right there and pick it up next time and we'll have our uh, deacon prayer time.